0: All right, this is the Louisiana chapter of the Zeitgeist Movement. Uh, This is my second podcast. Uh, We'll be discussing a review of Zeitgeist Moving Forward. I just saw the movie uh, myself this past Saturday, and already we have reviews starting to pop up on the Internet. Most of them are pretty positive, but I did manage to find one that was actually critical of the movie. But the, uh, the author who wrote this review had so many misconceptions about the film and so many things wrong that I thought that it begged response uh, via a podcast and I I got VTV, uh, Neil here in the chat with me Uh, so we're going to take a few minutes to gut this review a little bit and see where the author might have got the wrong impression Uh, are you still with me there, Neil?
1: Yeah, I sure am. Thank you. Welcome, or, or, well, for welcoming to the show.
0: Yeah, know it's probably a little. Uh, uh, you're probably not accustomed to being on somebody else's production, but uh, that, uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm not accustomed to it either, so we'll just wing it. Oh no, I've done it.
1: Um, I, I just, I did have to stop myself because I almost said welcome to V Radio.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I actually took time to listen to your uh, Jared Lofner show earlier today. I had to listen to it in the archive. I probably would have caught it live, but you kept pushing it back, and you pushed it back to a point where I actually didn't get a chance to listen in live. But I did catch it in the archive. It was a pretty good discussion.
1: Yeah, it's it's a show that some people didn't want me to do, um, but I had already scheduled it, and a lot of people had asked for it, so that was pretty much the beginning and the end of me addressing the issue. Uh there is a feeling in the movement that we shouldn't really talk anymore about it because they think it will feed the fire or whatever. But um, I, I dispelled it essentially as what it was, which was really, really silly. That the guy in question, you, everybody's trying to point fingers, but the truth is the man's brain was Swiss cheese. He could have watched Puff the Magic Dragon and decided it was a reason to shoot somebody. There was no basis on it. It just, people are jumping on it as an opportunity, as people often do. So take a tragedy and find a way to pin it on their political opposition. It's standard psyop stuff that you do in politics.
0: Yeah, I did catch that. Uh, You you actually took a different approach. I I did a YouTube video, I think within two days of this whole fiasco coming out, and I took a more simple and direct approach. Uh, I just went after the fact this kid was on national television talking about what he thinks. Uh, Jared Loftner's mental state is based on this movie that he talked about, maybe talked about, two years ago, and he hasn't spoken with a guy in two years. I mean, that right there blows any and all rationality uh, that even exists in, in the entire claim. And, and, and I agreed with Peter that it was incredibly irresponsible that ABC News even entertained that that was even worthy information to even put out. Uh, but um, your approach was different, though. You actually went after any political reasons why he might have had for um, going after this congresswoman. But he, even when you get past political reasons, he didn't have any reason to shoot the, the what was it, a nine-year-old girl? I mean, yeah, his, his brain was Swiss cheese. I mean, a movie had nothing to do with it.
1: Yes, and it's... Uh honestly i mean i the reason i went for the political is because it's the political that that's doing all this that's why you got glenn beck rush limbaugh you know all those people particularly rush you know guys like him have a real agenda with the right and the right was the first group that got blamed because you know and then and then they tried to and ironically the, the stuff that was just so silly to me reading about it was then rush limbaugh goes and and he blames the left. He said they watched, a, you know, the guy watched a leftist conspiracy movie called Zeitgeist. And I'm like, okay, well the woman was a Democrat and deeply rooted in the left. Why would watching a leftist movie make you go shoot a leftist congresswoman? That doesn't even make any sense. Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not saying that he was any more influenced by the right. I mean, like I said, the more you study the guy, he, you know, that's why people said he didn't take sides. You know, he just thought everything was BS. And I'm not talking bad science. So. You know, in the videos that he made, he were just rambling crazy stuff, and it's just, it's, that's why I said he was just so detached from reality that trying to, that's why I said in my, my blog, it just, it was something that could very easily have happened without a tangible motive.
0: Yeah, it's one thing I noticed is very interesting about the political, uh, um, uh, the political affiliations pointing fingers at, at each other. You'd never see either side, or anybody on either side saying, hmm, i Think maybe some bad attribute in my own side might have caused this. No, it's got to be the other guy. They're they're starting from the conclusion that they are correct and the other guys are the ones causing the problem. And that right there, I attribute that directly to irrationality. But anyway, shall we get to the uh, review that we're actually here to uh, flay a lot. Alrighty, uh, I, I'm also going to warn you, I actually don't have my headphones today because I accidentally broke them, so uh, we'll just have to try not to talk past each other or else I'm going to echo on my mic. But anyway, to start this thing off, uh, the author of this review, uh, some person by the name of Davey Barker, yeah, I, I'm just going to call him Davey because... Okay, to start off his review he says uh it seems constant throughout the zeitgeist films that I enthusiastically agree with almost exactly half of Peter Joseph's message, but I could not disagree with the with the other yeah with <laughs> what what is this word uh with the other half more more f- okay i'm gonna skip past these uh a word like this, because I don't really know how to pronounce that i uh, yeah. Uh, this new installment is no different, it seems. The first segment of the film examined human nature as a series of expert... Okay, I, I'm going to get past the human nature argument because he seems to have agreed with it. This is just a little summary of uh, the, the whole uh, human nature argument. And he doesn't seem to have a problem with that, so I'm going to skip past that part. And he uh, he drops a recommendation to watch... Uh, to watch... Um, I guess this is uh, a radio series, "The Bomb in the Brain." I've, I've never heard of it myself, but okay. Then he goes on to say, uh, "To be perfectly honest, I was somewhat disappointed with the rest of the film." Okay, this is this is where we start getting into stuff. I, I would be happy to mm-hmm. to respond to myself. He says, "Apparently, what is meant by a quote-unquote resource-based economy in the film is not a medium of exchange based on." on a commodity of intrinsic value. Uh, now that right there caught me by surprise as soon as I got to that point. Because when he says apparently what is meant by a resource-based economy in the film is not a medium of exchange, I I, I felt myself saying in the back of my head duh. Uh, is this the very first time he has ever heard of this? Uh, did, did it catch him by, that, by surprise? That, we're, that we weren't advocating any kind of medium of exchange?
1: Well, honestly, if, if he's coming from a free market perspective, I don't know enough about the author, but those people have a tendency to assume that their own viewpoints are already established and therefore self-evident. It's something that I have to deal with frequently when I debate with people from the free market group is I have to point out to them that using the Austrian school as an appeal to authority is silly because the Austrian school is fringe. Um and so even the things that they just like I remember this one Mises Institute article that Brandy and I did a show about they you know they said that the Venus Project lacked knowledge and basic economics as he's going and preaching from the Mises Institute that the majority of econo- economists
0: think is faulty logic, yeah, I think I did catch that show uh um, but anyway uh to go on, he says it. That- Yeah, it makes a comment about how the resource-based economy is not a medium of exchange, and he goes on to say, "...it means a system in which no currency exists at all, in which technology produces such abundance that everything is free and everything man-made is 100% uh, environmentally friendly because scientific calculation makes all economic decisions." which is somewhat reminiscent of George Carlin as Rufus describing Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Okay, I'm not going to get into his description of Bill and Ted. In the film, Joseph criticizes those who would call him utopian. So I will refrain. So that right there to me feels like an admission that he is at least willing to say that the resource-based economy is utopian. But he didn't want to spit that out because we criticized people with that argument.
1: Honestly, um, looking it over, the resource-based economy, you have to remember that a lot of people just look at that in of itself, and because it's not what they, they suggest, it must obviously be flawed. And that's honestly a lot of what people get really wrapped up in their belief structures, particularly about things like economics, because just like the guy said in Z3, uh, you know economic economists are basically uh, propagandists of money exchange they don't you know they're they basically are just p- pushing a theory and you know they can't ever you know there's not a huge amount of science behind it Um and so people get attached to their little theories and and they don't tend to like to get out of them um, that's, I've encar- I've seen that a lot and the resource-based economy model basically challenges everything so they react to it negatively and in many cases, not, without even really looking at it, it's like uh, a video I debunked recently that was put on the forums. The guy didn't even get out of the fourth paragraph of one of the articles on the Venus Project site and had felt that he had studied enough to say that you know he had completely debunked
0: it. Yeah, I, I run into that a lot. I mean, I'll, I'll get people who I have maybe been through a short five minute description of what a resource based economy is and and they're just like i know what that is that is something either a socialism or communism or technocracy and um i uh, there there's a there's a vocabulary of words that people will actually attribute to the resource based economy and and i find it laughable that they don't all agree because they can't all decide what it is
1: that's because in many cases it's uh, what they usually try to do is they try to compare it to something else people don't ever really believe that there's any such thing as an original idea. And I'm not saying that other people did not come up with similar things to a resource-based economy before Jacques ever talked about it, but um it's basically uh what it amounts to is that they they are kind of threatened that what they believe to be right is being challenged. It goes back to the the major problem that we have in communicating is that people are scared of being wrong. If you remember that little segment of Zeitgeist Addendum where he has that picture of the clay figures, and then there's that one clay figure all by himself. Uh, people are controlled through ostracism, and being wrong is considered failure. And that goes all the way back to it's it's enforced in our in our schools. Um, you know, if you get something wrong in public schools, then the whole classroom laughs at you, and it, it's a terrible way to think because it really makes it hard for people to just come up with new ideas, and I think that one of the things that was different about me is my mother raised me, enough to care what those kinds of people thought, and it allowed me to, it's the reason I've been able to change political ideology so easily, is because if something looks good to me, then I just absorb it. I mean, I went from uh, free market capitalist uh, all the way to zeitgeist addendum, you know, <laughs> and that's a huge change just by watching the, the presentation about resource-based economy, and I thought very hard on it. Um, so nobody can claim that I was already some kind of leftist or that I worshiped Jacques Fresco or any of that, because my heroes at the time were all pre-market capitalists. But what he
0: said made more sense. Yeah, uh, I'm in complete agreement, but uh, we're about to start getting into the fun stuff, the stuff I'd really like to address here. So as usual, Joseph brilliantly identifies and articulates the problem with our monetary system from the culture of consumerism, to plan obsolescence to manufactured scarcity, but completely flies off the rails when he starts advocating a solution okay then he then he goes into a, a very very brief description of uh the Federal reserve and what's wrong with the monetary system. you know everything is discussed in addendum and um very briefly and I guess moving forward, he kind of condenses it into one little brief paragraph, and then he says this kind of malfeasance cannot is not possible when the medium of exchange is a commodity because the currency is not a record of debt but a resource. Now that uh, quote right there, uh, I read that and I started thinking to myself, okay uh, let's see you eat a money sandwich if you think money is a resource. And then after I thought about it for a second what he's talking about is is money in a theoretical sense. If we were maybe still on a gold standard, maybe if money actually represented real resources, then he would be correct. But since our money doesn't, our money is is based on how much our government can borrow, then he would, in fact, be wrong.
1: Yeah, and I, I noticed in this, this part of the article and a couple of other pieces, the, the guy keeps bringing up that, you know, well, we keep leaving out state coercion, state coercion, because... Uh, if he's an anarcho-capitalist in particular, they blame everything on the state. It's the state's fault that our money system isn't working, and if we just get rid of the state and all regulations of any kind that limit the way money is spent or exchanged or how much of it somebody can have, everything will be fine. It's a recipe for fascism to the highest bidder.
0: Yeah, he makes a few comments in here about state coercion. I was going to get to those in a minute because I've got a special response to that one. But uh, he, he goes on to say, but... Uh, when he he makes the assertion that currency is not a record uh, record of debt but rather a resource he goes on to say but instead the film completely conflicts the two treating all mediums of currency as identical when they are not the film attacks free market Austrian uh, economists like Ludwig von Mises and uh, how do you say this one and Friedrich Hayek is that how that's pronounced I'm probably not saying that right Uh, who were arguing against paper currency, and it completely ignores the role of state coercion in sheltering monopolistic uh, contractors from liability for their actions. Yeah, I I think he's missing a lot of the point. Uh, I mean, I I don't know about uh, the films attacking uh, Ludwig von Mises or uh, or the other guy, I mean, uh, I would be willing to argue that the film attacks ridiculous ideas.
1: Uh, Well, those two guys are known for being the primary heroes of those ideas. People quote Mises like they quote the the Bible in some circles. And uh, the, the issue, they always blame it on the state, and they claim that the state is what shelters monopolies, which I think is ridiculous. We've seen in history that um cartels and monopolies can in fact happen but it's another one of those religious aspects of the free market ideology and the reason i call it religious not because they believe it's by god i call it religious because it's it's none of the one of the leaps of faith you have to embrace along with the invisible hand that is that monopolies can't happen in a free market you ask them how and they just say because they just can't and you look at it and in in its actual practical application and particularly if we were on a sound currency it would be extremely easy to have a, a monopoly or a cartel, because when there's a limited amount of currency, it's actually easier for people to control the currency, especially if it was based in gold. You just buy all the gold. Well, now I got all the money. You know, it's that simple. Um, and it, they they basically say that it's all you know the state that, that is what allows monopolies. And it is true that um, you know that companies do use the state to their advantage. But without absent the state, then people would just be free to buy everything and then hold it. And, you know, because they're so big on the private property thing, I mean, I remember one fellow I talked to who said that his private property beliefs were such that, you know, even if he was the one who owned something that was critical to the rest of the planet's survival, it would be better that everybody on Earth died than that he should be asked to share it. That's, you know, that's how sociopathic and narcissistic people get when they follow this rabbit hole all the way down. You know, you start finding yourself saying things that you, you start to believe that anybody who would challenge, you know, your control over anything is therefore, um, you know, hurting your freedom. But they, they always leave out the fact that anybody who has control over things like that is the one who is taking other people's freedom. You know, and it's, it's tough, you know, but I, I still remember the day that I was in a chat room full of people and I pointed out that, you know, um, you know, how does this all work? And, you know, we've come to a limit of what we can achieve this way, and, and all these people that I, you know, was had a lot of respect for said something that utterly shocked me. They just said, well, the strong will survive, you know, essentially implying that if you're poor and you can't take care of yourself, then you deserve to die.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's no other way to describe it than uh, sociopathic. I mean, whenever we start getting into conversations about uh, the market and ownership of property and and uh, um, uh, what you were talking about a minute ago about monopolies and cartels, I, I go round and around with my boss about this. You know, I I, got, I have a really cool employer, and he's willing to talk some politics with me. But being a business owner, he is a hardened capitalist. In uh, I would probably say, in the basic sense, I, I I would um I say that because when you get right down to uh, the uh, intricacies of capitalism. I would probably have to say that my boss hasn't a clue what capitalism is about. I mean, he believes in it on the basic sense. He has quoted John Adams, you know, about the invisible hand, and you know, I, I usually argue that one by reminding him that the uh, that John Adams and his invisible hand uh, is seventeen was it seventeen seventy uh, six uh, literature. Now he he's referencing literature that's. Uh, hundreds of years old. I mean, does he really think that it's still applicable? But when you start getting into people who uh, just hold the concepts of ownership sacred, and, and speaking of that, we're going to be getting to this here in the in this review here shortly. But some of the things that I like to point out is you don't need to own the shopping cart that you use. You don't need to own the park bench. You don't need to own the grass in the park for you to sit on it. It just needs to be there when you need it.
1: That's true. Um, and access is more important. And that's that's another one of the reasons it's difficult for some people to understand why it isn't going to be as hard as people think to produce what we need. Because what we need and what we've been inflated to believe that we need are two entirely different things. Um, that's why I always recommend Century of Self and uh, Cywar and Consuming Kids which are all documentaries about how uh, propaganda and psychological warfare tools are used every day to convince us that our consumerism is directly linked to our freedom. We are brainwashed to believe that our ability to go out and shop is what makes us free. You know, that's like in uh, Annie Leonard pointed out in the story of stuff. You know, after 9-11, George Bush told people to go out and shop. You know, <laughs> think about that.
0: Yeah, I saw that. The Story of Stuff series is pretty good. I mean, uh, I, I know that they seem to uh, flake out on you a lot, but I, I, I mean, I'm one of those people who would still like to see uh, Annie Leonard on uh, V-Radio, if you can ever pull that off. But uh, I, I know you said during the show uh, that they keep flaking out on you. That seems to be the case.
1: case. It also could just be that she's busy. I
0: don't know. Um, I don't know. If she's busy, I hope it's with more videos, because hers are really good. But uh, to continue with this review, the rest of the film, uh, yeah, I'm quoting the review now. The rest of the film was a kind of thought experiment called Project Earth, in which it was hypothesized what the world would would look like if we could start over from scratch. This was primarily the vision of Jacques Fresco, who also appeared briefly in the second film. In Fresco's vision, there is no currency, no market. Instead. Society is structured entirely in order to allocate resources efficiently. He imagines cities as circular wonderlands of science and technology where all labor is replaced by automated robots. All demand is calculated based on surveys that people will fill out describing their needs. You would basically vote for uh, yeah vote for everything you wanted from essential food and shelter to recreation and relaxation. I think that's a generally fair description. Uh, I have no problems with that. It's the next comment where I have to where I have to stomp the guy. He says again, he completely ignored the role of state coercion. Now, I'm not entirely sure if I understand what he means by state coercion, but I don't know if this if I'm understanding him right, but I don't know, maybe he went to the bathroom at that point and just assumed that Peter ha- uh had organized a state whenever he was setting up this thought experiment but I saw I've seen the film and he didn't organize any kind of state so where is he getting state coercion from this thought experiment
1: it keeps coming back to the fact that he you have to remember that they blame everything on state coercion Um, that absence the state that all supposedly all the problems that we are claiming are wrong with the monetary system that all of our problems will go away if we just get rid of the state um, that 's essentially he keeps repeating that because that 's the argument that 's not being added if If that guy was sitting there debating with peter joseph then he 'd be saying well that 's all the state's fault that 's all the state 's fault you know as if in some kind of anarchic- situ- you know, anarchist situation where money is the final power because that 's make no mistake that 's what anarcho capitalism is in anarcho capitalism you don 't have standing armies, you are free to purchase mercenaries you don 't have police, you have to contract with private security to protect you. Now, at first you're thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe that'll cause some good things, but then really think about it. It means whoever has the most money has the biggest army and has the best police force. Tell me that's not an instrument waiting to cause, uh, you know, cause fascism. You know, that's actually what anarcho-communists and anarcho-syndicalists say is a flaw in anarcho-capitalism is that, any system that focuses that way on money exchanges being the means by which everything is done will inevitably lead back to a state because you'll need because everything's based in property and private property and protecting your property. So you'll need to have some coercive means to protect your property, and therefore you head right back to the state, um, even if it's not an official state. It could just be like you've seen in many films, post-apocalyptic or futuristic films where the corporations just run everything. It's already close to that now you know the difference is, is in an anarcho capitalist society they wouldn't have to continue to pretend to you know give us this government thing to protect us they could just outright rule us and there's nothing we can do about it if you have the money you have everything and that's that's what they think will lead us to this beautiful you know and that's why i think it's utopian this beautiful utopian dream that Everybody is free to start their own businesses and they're automatic to succeed and the invisible hand will make it so that everybody gets what they want. That's what they they preach on one side of their mouth, but on the other side of their mouth, they tend to leave out the fact that, oh, by the way, if you don't figure out a way to be, um, you know, useful, then you're dead. And that's just the way it is. Sorry, you know, strong will survive. Just as he pointed out, that one professor pointed out, uh, was stated, was that, you uh, you know, the children, you know, the poorest children will die. And, and that's a way of balancing things you know uh, it's the same concept they just basically believe that well if you can't figure out a way to make money or your, your kids will die and you'll die and then you know that's just the market cleaning everything up and making supply meet demand isn't this a fair system they always tell you it's the only fair system and then the funny thing is is that they'll then tell you that any system other than that such as communism socialism whatever will immediately lead to gulags and death camps so therefore that's a bad system we shouldn't have that and I remember pointing out to somebody who he called like the resource-based economy caucus I have in the Boston Tea Party, not the Tea Party you've seen in the TV. Um, you know, I have a caucus there that's about the resource-based economy. And the guy said it's the death camp caucus. You guys will have to set up death camps. And I said, well, the cool thing about your anarcho-capitalism is you don't even need death camps. People will just starve to death, if, you know, when there isn't enough
0: resources. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's that's one of the reasons why I don't uh, I don't actually agree with. Anarchy, myself, I don't know about uh, anarcho-capitalism, but I've often been uh, accused of being some kind of anarchist because the resource-based economy uh, uh, has no actual government in a traditional sense. So I've been accused of being an anarchist before, and and, uh, the, uh, the reason why I don't support anarchy is because anarchy tends to lead right back to some kind of oligarchy, uh generally whenever your traditional uh anarchies um uh actually overturn a government they're overturned by people by anarchists who are uh chosen to lead the uh, an anarchist movement and then after they overthrow the government they become the new government so i mean there there's no um, there's no structure or system in place to keep the problems from coming back and that's one of the uh, things that really appeals to me about the Venus Project. Not only does it fix problems, but it sets up structures to keep them gone. Um, No,
1: that's very true. Um, And the funny thing is about the anarchy thing, it's not that, you know, because we do have, you know, because like for one time I thought about, you know, forming a school of anarchy around the concept, because the anarchy itself is not the problem. Anarchy is just absence of government. Um, There's actually a pretty decent write-up called Cyberocracy, on wikipedia that like that sort of that demonstrates what i'm talking about and and if it were an anarchist school i would call it like anarcho virtualism virtual like you know rule by computer cuz that's essentially what it is and you know you have to be careful with that because people go oh you said the word rule you know so therefore there's a problem you know but you have to think about okay so what 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 is your government for you know and well your government should only be for managing your infrastructure so therefore if it's a computer government then it's just managing infrastructure it's not managing people and then you therefore you have no people involved in it to muck it up so it's not to say that you know the, the reason that anarchists come into pro, uh, problems with the movement is that they they some of those schools build on a premise called uh, spontaneous order they, they believe that it's the authority positions themselves that are causing all the problems and if we just get rid of authority everybody will eventually get along and that's where we, we seriously part ways, because the resource-based economy model, Jacques Fresco's ideas do not jive with that. He recognizes that behavior will not improve solely by getting rid of the means by which people are curbing behavior. We have to change the environment, and then people will act better on their own. You don't, you don't just turn off police and laws right away. You know, police and laws go away when there's no need for them, and there will still be a need for them until our values
0: have changed, and therefore we get along on our own. Yeah, uh, that's one of the points that I go round and round about people. Sometimes, whenever I make the, uh, whenever I make the comment that eventually, uh, government and laws and police and military and all of these things will just eventually go away in a resource-based economy, they immediately step back with, uh, "Well, uh, you know, what are you going to do in the meantime?" And I'm like, "What?" And I'm like, "Hold on, you have a misconception. We're not talking about just." Stopping these structures, we're talking about rendering them obsolete over a period of time. Once it becomes, uh, here's a good analogy that I like to use: when you have a, a a city with local police, and it becomes abundantly clear that the police are sitting around doing nothing because crime has essentially disappeared in the entire, you know, in the entire city then eventually those cops are going to want to do something else because there's no workload for them. There's no reason for them to do that work. So, the, so you reduce the uh, number of police you have in the city down to just a handful of guys, and then after a while they do absolutely nothing, and you reduce the size of the police again, and and, and, you, and you work that pattern until eventually you have no police left. A complete elimination of police because there has already been a demonstrable elimination of crime that's the That's the way to go about it. We don't just say uh, we're going to declare crime um, is gone just so we can get rid of the cops that's that's actually asked backwards right,
1: and that's it's you know in fact, I had an interesting thought that popped into my head. Okay, Maytag's whole repairman thing about saying how oh, the Maytag repairman is boring or bored, I'm sorry, because he never has to do anything. Because through technological solutions, Maytag has made their stuff so reliable that there's no need for the Maytag man, uh, repairman. It's the same concept, only there'll be bored police officers sitting around, you know, <laughs> because we've designed society so well that they're not really called up to do anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they would probably be put to work doing something else. I mean, and that's another angle that I take with the, with regard to our military. Uh, people ask me, you know, what will our military do? If I don't tell them that we'll just simply get rid of our military, then I might take Jacques' approach. I might say, well, we will repurpose our military uh, so that rather than uh, rather than sending them to the battlefield, we will send them instead to uh, maybe international recovery from national disa- uh, from natural disasters. You know, instead of sending our army into battle in Iraq, we would instead send them to Haiti in order to assist in recovering from the earthquake. You know, something more like that is what our military would probably end up being. And rather than uh, being paid military, they they would in fact be all volunteers with really good equipment.
1: Right, and that's, you know, that's what I said to people once, and uh, I guess they, they were pretty happy with this at uh, the Venus Project. But like, when people, people tend to forget that when Jacques brings up World War II and the production, uh, and he brings up the idea of soldiers being problem solvers, uh, and then we, we bring up the Manhattan Project as an example of what could be achieved. And those are all examples of things that happened because mankind registered that there was a major threat, so the notion of money was put aside and we simply used the resources necessary to get something done that was critical. And that's why I said, um, rather than declaring war on other nations to steal their energy resources, we declare war on the need for fossil fuels. We declare war on poverty and not the BS, and I don't mean bad science, war on poverty that is you know, used by politicians to pay lip service. We actually... You know, if you imagine what would happen if we put all the resources and manpower that go even just into the United States as military alone, you know, what kind of world we could have. You know, it's like if you if you subscribe to Gizmag, for example, people say that solar is weak. Every freaking week on Gizmag, there's another report that they found this way to make solar panels better and this way to make solar panels better. But these people are nickel and diming, you know, for their research because the industry doesn't really want them to succeed. So now you imagine what happens when we eliminate the profit motive and we devote all of those resources towards declaring war instead of on each other, on the things that are threats to mankind, the causes of war.
0: Yeah, but just to go on with this review, it's about to start getting really fun. Uh, To do away with with currency completely, you must, of course, do away with ownership itself. Otherwise, people would barter and... An accepted medium of exchange would naturally develop in the market. Uh, he, I guess talking about um, Peter, embraces this completely, saying that exclusive ownership of property would be replaced by communal access to property. He imagines that all stores would be operated like public libraries, w- uh, where you would check out the items you need and return them when you're done. The vehicle you used uh, to commute to work. Would be reallocated to another commuter. While while you were at work, this raises the age-old bugbear of a question. And yeah, the, uh, the, this raises the old age-old bugbear of a question: if there's no private property, do I own myself, or is my body communal property? Now I read that statement, and I can't. Call it anything except deliberately obtuse. I mean, is this guy trying to be not sharp in order to ask this question? I mean, uh, now here, here's an even better question I'm asking him in response to this one: What is he? What? What is he trying to imply? That uh, that or what presupposition is he working toward? That we are advocating some kind of genocide or eugenics or? Slavery? Well, it can't be slavery because slavery is ownership of something. Uh, What is he trying to imply that we're advocating?
1: It's an appeal to emotion fallacy, and the emotion in question is fear. It's a straw man fallacy, uh, and if he had read The Best of Money Can't Buy, Jock states repeatedly throughout the book that personal um, rights are paramount. And essentially, you know, it's just like, you know, we've seen this before and people who attack the Venus Project, though, this is how we get called eugenicists, even though there is nothing even remotely looking like eugenics in any of our information, because there are people who have suggested things like, you know, the the thing that, you know, they're trying to link, for example, to depopulation is that because we said that people need to be wary of the, the carrying capacity of the earth. Well, that's not that we want to dictate that to people. It's that there's only so much, so many resources on the planet. We actually feel that we can extend the current carrying capacity through technology very easily. So we don't think there's going to be any need for depopulation anytime soon. But just because we talked about the idea, oh, gasp, the notion that people might want to, you know, gauge how many children they have based on their ability to feed them, you know, as if that's not common sense. You know, well then that must also mean we believe in eugenics, which is ridiculous, even though there is no eugenics in the in the Venus Project at all. In fact, Jacques thinks eugenics was ridiculous. Eugenics was terrible science. And it was proven because all the people who practiced it, like they, they inbred and stuff like that, they, they ended up like really harming their children, their their offspring by doing that. And it's it it's a totally flawed science. But they just at attra- us because it, it's it's a way you make I call it Kevin Baconick. It's just like Uh, Venus Project, the morning star. You know, Venus is the morning star, and the morning star is Lucifer, so therefore we're Luciferians. Even though Venus, Florida, existed well before Jacques and Roxanne ever moved there. And, you know, the reason why we we get into this is like, oh, well, are they going to take your bodies? You see, that's the thing that, you know, the reason I tell people to watch the Dances with Smurfs episode of South Park is because it's the same technique that Cartman uses on Wendy. You know, Wendy never said anything about hating Smurfs. But by the time Cartman is finished repeating that ridiculous behavior, everybody thinks that she hates Smurfs and led some genocide against Smurfs. And I know that's a silly example, but that's why Trey Parker does that. It's a matter of making fun of that behavior. And it's the same concept here. He just, he asks questions. You know, I'm just asking questions. You know, and this this question is, well, are they gonna take our rights of our body away? Well, we didn't say that, you did.
0: Oh no, you, you know what, here's a good answer. He, w- he wants to know is uh, is his body his private property and it, or is his body communal property? Yeah, I'll say it. His body's communal property. When he is done using it and he passes away, then the resources that are his body become fertilizer. Does that bother him? <laughs>
1: well, I, I don't know. Um, our bodies become fertilizer anyway. That's just the natural process.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So I mean, if you want to use the the uh, a broad definition of communal property, I mean the resources that are your body, uh, yeah, they go back to the earth when you are done using your body. That is consistent with what Peter is talking about. If you want to um, assess it in a broad sense, uh, if you don't want to assess it in a broad sense, then what is your presupposition? What do you uh, what are you suggesting? Uh, I mean, what else could you possibly suggesting that he, uh, Peter could be?
1: Honestly, I don't know. Um people sometimes have a certain uh sentimental point to uh to their bodies. And it doesn't mean that we're going to insist that anybody's bodies be thrown in fertilizer if people want to keep, you know, their loved one's bodies and do something with them. What?
0: <laughs> well, no, that's not even what I'm suggesting. I'm not saying people that we will people,
1: people, that we don't advocate coercion ever for any purpose.
0: No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we, uh, we take your corpse when you die and we send you to the fertilizer plant. No. What I'm suggesting is that when you pass away, your body gets recycled uh, either naturally or not, whether you want it to or not. It doesn't even matter. So if you want to assess communal property in a broad sense of the word, then yeah. When you're done with your body, it's going to be fertilizer for something no matter what we do. Uh, so what's the problem? It's,
1: you know, it, well, once again, it's it's another one of those projected fears. Um, and it, particularly, you know, people get afraid when you challenge their ideologies that they are very emotionally attached to. And if they want to demonize something, then then they'll make those leaps of logic. I mean, I'll give you another example. One that came about was uh, on this one radio show about the you know, debunking that I did from this uh, British show. Uh, that was Anti-Venus Project, was they said, you know, and he talks about the carrying capacity of the planet. What could he possibly mean? Well, I've heard that some people believe that only 100,000 people should live on the planet, which is him quoting New World Order BS um, immediately after quoting something that we said, solely for the purpose of making some kind of paranoid uh, connection.
0: Yeah, that sounds like pretty bizarre logic. Well, it sounds pretty typical of the uh, of the anti-Venus project uh, groups out there. Uh, But to go on with the review here, what he is advocating, talking about Peter, though he did not say so explicitly, is a centrally planned economy. I, I don't know. I think it was pretty explicitly defined what he was talking about. And he imagines that he has solved the problem of corruption in central planning by ceding decision... Uh, decision making authority to a scientific process instead of uh oh, yeah here's where it gets fun again uh, uh, decision making authority to a scientific process instead of a human leader in his animation as matrix like as matrix like tumbles of numbers allegedly calculate supply and demand in elegant efficiency bold red letters flash across the screen saying no opinions. While I'm certain he intended this as some kind of virtue of his system, to me it is worse than the uh, it, it is the worst of tyrants who adopts who adopts uh, uh, that as his slogan. Okay, uh, I'm going to stop there and make a comment there. I understand what he's talking about and also understand why he's uh, why he is making a fundamental error by saying this. Yeah, uh, Peter is advocating a system where opinions are not part of the structure. Opinions are not uh, imposed on everybody else as uh, as a decision-making authority as part of the system. Uh, he is saying that it's tyrannical. I, I presume in a sense that he thinks Peter is suggesting no one is allowed to have an opinion in a resource-based economy, which he didn't say. What Peter is saying is that opinions are not facts, and because they're not facts, then they must not be imposed on everybody else in the form of decisions. That's the difference. The scientific method does not operate on opinions. It it operates on demonstrable data, information, and facts. There are no opinions. There is no emotional bias in science. Science is designed to work such things out of the system so that you understand what is true um, that's the difference it's not tyrannical or uh, it well I could probably say that it's tyrannical in the same sense that Peter says that nature is is a dictatorship but it's it's still uh, it's it is still a virtue of the system
1: um yeah well the other thing that people especially uh, people who are really worried about authority, they, they think their opinion is an expression of their freedom, and they tend to think that anybody who says no opinions is, is trying to uh, uh, take away um, you know, from their freedom. And what they don't understand is what Jacques is trying to point out is that having opinions is that you utilize particularly is immensely tyrannical. Acting irrationally on your opinions can do all kinds of damage. And it's not that he says, don't think for yourself. He says, don't settle for some, I mean, pardon my language, half-assed opinion. Go research. You know, go look into it. You know, he gives the example of that woman who has many men over at his house, over her house, and you could have lots of opinions. What he's trying to get at is, what kind of damage could you do to this woman's reputation when she could be a language instructor, a dance instructor, any number of other things? You know, it, it's, it's basically just a matter, um, you know, of totally destroying the notion that you know you should just have an opinion when you should actually endeavor to know what the hell you're talking about before you open your mouth and try to affect policy that you're going to expect other people to live their lives by uh, opinions are a means to to tyranny you know we we saw that when religion went after scientists who did things like prove that the earth revolves around the Sun uh... you know that's an example of an opinion because religion can be no more than opinion anyway becoming tyrannical and that and that's crap you know there are a lot of people who think their opinions should have the right to have power over other people you know take the people who can't stand gay marriage they think it's their biz, bus- you know their business that in their opinion you know just because in their opinion two people of the same gender shouldn't get married that they shouldn't that's an example of the tyranny that's inherent in opinions
0: yeah i, I completely agree I mean, the the difference is that opinions are opinions and not facts be- is because they're not demonstrable. They're not objective. They're completely subjective. And what I like to tell people whenever they try to argue with, to me with their opinions, and it happens a lot, I get into a lot of debates with people, and whenever they try to assert something as fact, and they usually try to justify what their statement with, well, that's just my opinion, And I'll usually respond with, okay, well, you have a right to your opinion, but what you told me, what you made was an assertion of fact. And your opinion is not a demonstration of fact. Your opinions can be wrong. And because opinions can be wrong, in fact, they're more likely to be wrong than something that is a demonstrable fact, because opinions can be wrong, they should not be used to um, make decisions in the system. That's, I'm, I'm trying to articulate that. that. That's probably a good way to, to explain the difference between politicians making decisions based on their opinions and uh, machines and computers arriving at decisions uh, based on facts and data in a resource-based economy. I mean, uh, I think that's probably the simplest way to explain it.
1: That that is a very good way to explain it. Um, And it also, I mean, just beyond what the computers do, we ourselves uh, need to look very closely into that. Um, Politicians, in many cases, and this has been proven more than once, I mean, I'll give you an example. When I ran for office, I asked Senator Gravel if there was any special kind of schooling I should attend while I was running for office in the event that I might win. and that is that uh, he said no. There isn't any special schooling. They give you a guidebook if you get elected. And you know, I was like, you don't think I need any other qualifications? And he's like, well, um, let's take Ron Paul for example. He's a obstetrician. He delivers babies. Do you think any of that helped him? You know, with the government? You know, he's like, the government's an elected made of elected officials. It always has been. You know, the old politicians, you know, were not uh, statesmen beforehand because there was no such a thing. There was a monarchy. You know they were people who were farmers or had other you know professions who were elected to public office. and unfortunately that system might make people have insight into what it's like to be part of the you know the group, but it doesn't by any means guarantee that they have any qualifications at all when it comes to making decisions about anything scientific or logical.
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually used that fact about Ron Paul being an obstetrician and not a businessman or a lawyer or an economist like a lot of politicians are to, to a, a large degree. Because a lot of those kind of guys have been through such extensive schooling in things like economy and business. They have long since passed the point of questioning the fundamentals of the system. But then you take a guy, a radical like Ron Paul, who hasn't had extensive business and economics schooling, who is in fact an obstetrician, a family man, he has a fundamental perspective. And he is at a point where he can question pretty much everything. And I think that's what makes him such, a, such an effective politician when it comes to the people. Uh, you know, rather than your classic businessman type congressmen who are uh, regrettably more uh, influential and um, subject to be influenced by corporations.
1: Yes, and that, that's a whole other part of the problem. Um, is that, that corporate influence that is inevitable in any system that uses money, which is one of the reasons that I tell people, particularly the ones who are really attached to this republic model, because they, they go out of their way. We're not a democracy. We're a republic acting as though we were made a democracy or we were made a republic to protect us from democracy. We were made a republic to, depe- to protect the elite in this country from democracy. That's why we were made a republic where we are given uh, a few choices of various elite already wealthy people that can represent us rather than representing ourselves and people have been brainwashed into thinking that that's a superior system when essentially it's just a Ponzi scheme it's you know it's just like it's not really much better than the Roman democracy system the Roman Republic system essentially wherein they just appointed from the rich people to be the Senate you know (laughs) as if that was ever going to really represent everybody, and it didn't. And one of the reasons they killed Caesar was because he was trying to change things in the direction of Rome being for everybody and not just for the rich. Um, And so that's a a point, is that people are brainwashed into thinking that their freedom is protected by this system that in fact has just ensured that the status quo will always be maintained. One of the things I learned from uh, Senator Mike Ravel, for example, is the reason that we don't have direct democracy in this country anymore is because they were trying to ratify a constitution that had slavery in it, and uh, there were enough states that were made up of Quakers and, and such that would not ratify the constitution if it allowed slavery. And so in order to deal with that problem, because there were far too many you know people in the Union who wanted slaves, they just took the, the vote away um, and created the delegate system, which is essentially what turned into the Congress uh you know they just took that ability away to have any voice, and therefore they got their they got their document with slavery allowed
0: yeah, that sounds about right i I probably would have expected them to i don't know maybe uh, uh over the course of a few generations i don't know maybe uh try to sway the Quakers in into another direction but anyway. Uh, carry on with this review. He's about to make a. He's probably about to make one of the most self-contradictory comments, and he tries to make it look like Peter's the one being self-contradicting. He says in the film, Peter praises the system, uh, praises a system built on the laws of nature because they are not arbitrary like human laws. But then he says, but then he says blatantly, like it or not, nature is a dictatorship. Now he he makes it look like this was a contradictory statement, but. It's not. I mean, you have a system built on the laws of nature. Peter says that laws of man are arbitrary, which they are, and that like it or not, the laws of nature apply. I mean, there's nothing contradictory about that. The laws of nature are uh, inevitably imposed on all of us. There's nothing we can do about it. So Peter suggests, let's build a system that is built on the laws of nature just to make sure that we're... Uh, aligned with it, I mean, he's trying to make it sound contradicting, but it's not. Uh, I mean, uh, I I don't get what, uh, where he's getting this. Well,
1: you know, something that's kind of a very telling point that I think most grasp, and that one of the, especially the ones who are linked to the consumerist capitalist concept, they don't understand that the nature is a dictatorship concept, in that they are afraid that we're gonna take their ability away to use resources irrespective of what is available on the planet without any kind of uh, concern. Essentially this is the other thing that when people call us utopian, I always say, is it would be utopian to believe that we can continue to produce on a planet with finite resources forever. We can't. It isn't possible. You know, and that's and it's not us Taking their freedom away by insisting that we start paying attention to the resources and the ecological impact of the way we're using them, okay um, and uh basically you know it, they don't understand that it doesn't matter what we say there's gonna be a point when nature's going to say, well, that's enough of you you've you've done enough now that you can't survive on my in my planet or on you know in my Ecosphere, uh, welcome to extinction. Have a nice day. They're not going to be able to argue with nature and say, "But I have inherent rights to private property. Y- you can't stop me from surviving." You know that isn't going to work. Nature's still going to kill you dead. Just ask the dinosaurs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that was> pr- <laughs> I probably couldn't have put that better. Okay. <laughs> I might I might actually use that one later next time somebody tries to bring up an argument like this. Anyway, he goes on to say uh, scientific calculation does not solve the problem of human corruption because someone has to input the data, someone has to report the results, someone has to give the order. Someone ha- oh, I'm I'm getting tripped up a little bit because my uh, my monitor is glitchy. Anyway, he says somebody. Somebody has to give the order how to act upon the results. And in a centrally planned economy, someone has to punish those who would not follow those orders. Now, with with that statement, I have to wonder if this guy slept through the first part of the film. I mean, what would be the incentive for somebody to... uh, mess with the system and make it not work as efficiently as possible. I mean, there's no profit in the system. There's no market. There's no uh, benefit from messing with the system this way unless you're just worried about a little, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If you're just worried about um, a little unofficial punishment you know if you're worried about a little hazing from your fellow citizens because you messed something up i can't imagine what the incentive to really mess the system up would be because this is the system that you and everybody else is surviving on so i i don't understand where he's getting an incentive to uh intentionally mess the system up well
1: you know it's once again it's just it's it's a blindness and i and i hate to put it that way uh but you know for example as i pointed out earlier you know th- there's obvious signs here that you know he didn't study and it's unfortunate that unfortunately that that can be an ad hominem and i caution people that are listening because i see it on youtube all the time don't just drop to that immediately um do it only when it's obvious and when you do it make sure that you point out specifically what you mean like i did earlier when I stated, um, well, it's obvious he didn't read, and this is why. I stated that it's because of the the points about individual rights. Okay, don't just say, well, you haven't studied. Make sure you detail exactly what they didn't know. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. I don't I don't think they understand, and they don't want to understand that the utopian dream that all of these systems, as Michael Rupert pointed out, were created under the assumption of infinite resources, are going to work.
0: Yeah, that's uh, basically what I just did. I mean, you know, it could have been called an ad hominem where I uh, where I suggested that he slept through the first part of the film, but at the same time I can demonstrate why he's asking a question that was corrected during the first part of the film or he's suggesting something that was corrected. But he goes on to do it again. He says the essential question is if the if a scientifically efficient program determines my needs for me, what if what if my subjective sense yeah, what if my subjective sense of my own needs is different? Am I free to disagree? But he doesn't seem too concerned with freedom. In fact, he mocks those who would speak of liberty as closed-minded, jing, jingoistic... Is that is that what the word he's talking about? Jingoistic mis... I, I have no idea what he's talking about here, but... says, and asserts that free will is an illusion. Okay, um... <laughs> yeah, if uh, if you subject uh, if you subjectively believe that you're uh, that you require a little more of something, I, uh, this is what this guy doesn't seem to understand. It's not that the system is going to be systematically dividing up your ration of everything. That's not what Peter said, and and, and he he seems to be uh, suggesting that. No what the system is going to do is it's going to systematically calculate or it's going to systematically estimate to, to uh, as great an efficiency as possible the usage and demand of every product and make sure that product is available everywhere where there appears to be a high demand for it. It's not going to stop and say you've had enough. It's not going to do that. and, and it's. And the system is basically assuming that you're not going to take much more than you could possibly physically manage. I mean, the system isn't going to make sure that you have a thousand pounds of flour available to you. It's going to make sure that you have more than you could possibly use, uh, but it's not going to stop you just because you've hit some kind of limit that is built into the system. Uh, he, he seems to think that the that the system's going to have limiters like that built into it, and it, it's just not.
1: Well, it, the limits are based on the limits of the resources available. That brings us back to the fact that these people want to be free to use more resources than we have. They, they're so caught up in the idea that there's always going to be enough to put everything in the grocery store. I mean, they, they don't People don't really see resources. They don't see the way that they're put together. That's why the Alien Leonard made the story of stuff, to try to give people an image of exactly what's going on when they consume, because most people aren't aware of that. They they believe that forever we'll just be able to produce, and, and there's no limits, and, and that anybody who suggests that we should actually intelligently manage is going to take away people's freedom to do whatever they want. And th- that's the point that we were trying to get at earlier, is that you can't do whatever you want. You can do whatever is possible and using resources that will not exist is not possible.
0: Well, no, I mean, uh, I think you're talking holistically, and I think this guy's talking personally. Uh, I mean, he, he seems to be suggesting that at some point in time, the system is going to stop him personally from getting something because he's had too much. And any time, I mean, it's my understanding that in a resource-based economy, if a resource becomes uh, holistically short in supply, then alternatives will be researched and implemented so that while while we might not necessarily um, have an infinite um, supply of a given resource, uh, so long as our resources are continually recycled, uh, they are for the most part infinitely usable uh, depending on how well we're capable of uh, keeping that cycle going, and how what and how efficient we are at finding alternatives. Yeah, I think it's more in that uh, in that region.
1: Well, also he said free will is an illusion, and Jock says things that are similar to that, and that's actually kind of what the whole point about the environment, you know, creating behavior is about. That's why we sat through the first, you know, quarter of the film. That's those multiple psychology types who are all telling us about the way that people learn, what they learn, and what their values are. I mean, I I can see it in myself. I own a black leather jacket. I was exposed to things that made me think that owning a black leather jacket looked good on me, so therefore I got it. You know, everybody is, in fact, created by their environment and their culture. We have certain uh, freedoms in that we get to choose a little bit how we react to that, but to think that if people tend to think they, they believe that the free will thing and, and the free will thing goes back to the Bible and the idea of the soul and all that other jazz. You know, and it doesn't mean that we can't, you know, that that's in any way an excuse to get rid of individual rights because that would be wrong. And the reason is is that people have the whims that they have because, based on the experiences they have. And therefore, we cannot presume to tell people what to do based on the experiences we have because we don't know where they're coming from, you know. And that's why Jock doesn't believe in ordering people around. You know, uh, The truth is self-evident. If we can teach people to have critical and analytical thinking skills, then they will come to the truth all on their own.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I don't believe in uh, uh, condemning uh, prisoners. I mean, because we know that they're just the product of the environment, they're the product of the system. I mean, uh, yeah, he says that uh, free will is an illusion, which uh, is probably a simple way of putting it. I would probably say something more along the lines of free will is a subjective construct uh, that results from your uh, overall life um, conditioning and experience. But um, that's essentially saying the same thing. That, um, but anyway, uh, to go on, it says behind all the techno babble is the simple fact that a centrally planned economy is enforced through the threat of violence. <laughs> Although he. Although he does at one point speculate that his idea is so brilliant that people will volunteer in droves. Some will. But if you don't do your job, if you don't play along, if you don't do what the central planning computer tells you is most efficient, there must be consequences or you don't have central planning anymore. You have a free market. Okay, Uh, hell no. <laughs> this guy couldn't possibly be more wrong. Um, for one, the central planning of an, uh, I mean, a centrally planned economy, it, it, even in a resource based economy, it, it doesn't have to be enforced through the threat of violence. It could just as easily be enforced through the threat of suffering if you don't play the game right. Not imposed suffering, by the way, but uh, suffering as a result of not playing the game right. You know, if you don't take care of each other, then uh, then you'll hurt each other. I mean, if you don't take care of the resources, then you won't have them. I mean, that's the enforcement. I mean, that's the incentive to uh, make the system work. I mean, uh, nowhere in the film does it even hint at any kind of violent enforcement. It hints at a uh, uh, naturally imposed consequence to not doing the uh, to not doing things right.
1: Yes, um and the I hear this argument that you know I've heard like you know the that violence is the final arrow in the quiver of such things blah 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 that it's inevitable we're going to seek violence and coercion and that's another example of a straw man. Um they just they assume that that we must and and it, and free market capitalists do a lot of that. They they say the same thing about how they said that you know wages must increase with productivity as if it was like a law of physics like they just your boss will just give you more because you're more productive he'll just willingly give up any you know uh profit that he made by you being more productive and just hand it right to you which is ridiculous i mean we see that the opposite is true so then they assume that well because we suggest this then it also means this 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 and this and you know they always go to like for example marxism well because you said share uh you must be marxist and has failed because of this, and it's been proven because of this, 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 and this. And therefore, because you mean, because you said the word share, you must also eventually mean the word fascist, which is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, uh, completely. I mean, <laughs> but then he goes, it goes on to say, if you don't do what the central planning computer tells you is most efficient, there must be consequences. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. He basically just said exactly what I just said. But the difference is he's implying violent consequences, and I'm implying natural consequences. I mean, he he has the right idea, but he completely missed the point. And he suggested that the consequences in store are a free market, which is uh, okay. Yeah, we we can go ahead and use harsh language if we have to, because this I'm I'm going to consider this uh, this. Uh, uh, this radio show, uh you know, it's not even a radio show. This podcast, PG thirteen, but yeah, to say that the consequences for not um, for not conserving our resources uh, maturely is automatically a free market—that's bullshit. It is uh, undemonstrable. I mean, well, I don't know. It's probably it's probably demonstrable to a degree, but it's not demonstrable. Uh, following a resource-based economy. I mean, he's jumping to a conclusion that he can't necessarily demonstrate. But anyway, to go on with the review, it's, uh, this is the last uh, paragraph of it, by the way, so we're almost done. It says, They say from the beginning that it is essential to raise children without violence, but violence... <laughs> yeah, exactly what you said a minute ago. Violence is the final arrow in the quiver of a centrally planned economy. So, if raising children in a violent uh, in a violent environment produces violent adults, then uh, an, uh, an authoritarian sociopath will eventually ascend the halls of power in any system um, predicated on coercion. Such a system, engineered entirely to maxim, uh, maximize efficiency, will eventually fall into the hands of dictator. As any good physician will tell you, if you treat the symptom without addressing the underlying cause, the symptom will re emerge. Yeah, I agree with that very last statement, which is exactly what the resource based economy does. It treats the root cause so that the issues don't re emerge. But he seems to not get it. He's still stuck on this thing that violence, that uh, violent enforcement of the rules of the system are inherently necessary when he can't demonstrate that. He's working from a presupposition which isn't necessarily true.
1: Well, it's obviously... I mean, it just <laughs> he just declares that all centrally planned systems will have violence, as if it's guaranteed. Um, well, I can tell you about a centrally planned economy that works right now. It's called the Twin Oaks Commune. It does just fine, and nobody's getting killed or putting any gulags or any of that nonsense. Okay? Uh, they use examples like the Bolsheviks, the Soviets, essentially uh, National Socialists that are not even real Socialists, meaning the Nazis, um, and they and they use this as empirical evidence that a you know basically that one plus one equals three, you know even though it it, it equals two, <laughs> and, and they can't guarantee that. I mean it, I could just turn around and, and make up all kinds of assertions that capitalism automatically means this or this. Based on you know nothing and that's basically what they're doing you know they make false um, associations based on unprovable premises that um clearly directly violate exactly what it is that we said they they fail to understand that we don't believe in coercion or force not just because it's immoral but because it's not effective. you cannot bring people around to a new method of thinking by frightening them or attacking them or even killing them. You can scare them into compliance, but that's not going to work. It's not an effective means. And our means of doing this is not the force or coercion or aggressive behavior that they believe is the only means to create change. It is the force of thought. It is the force of ideas. It is the force of the ability to demonstrate that what we are doing works. And that it works better than what they are doing. That's, I mean, that's the quote-unquote force that was used to bring me all the way from the right to the Venus Project was the force essentially of the logic that is presented in the ideas of the resource-based economy, as compared to the illogic of the ideas presented by any other system I've ever looked at. And and that's something people are just they're going to have to accept it. And and fortunately. Um, that's another reason why I keep comparing it to religion, because you'll notice that he made that leap of logic, and you see these kinds of leaps of logic in in religion all the time. Well, if you're n- if you don't follow Christ, you must be influenced by Satan, and in this instance, if you're not on the right, you must be an evil fascist.
0: Yeah, and uh, on top of that, this. Uh... Well, I kind of kind of lost my train of thought. I had one other point I wanted to make on the, on this guy. Yeah, now i not remember what it is. He comes back to this violence thing again, and it makes me again have to question whether or not he paid attention during the first part of the movie. I mean he he said during the first part of this review that he loved the first part of the movie. He goes through a little summary of it. He seems to enjoy that, and he seems to agree with it to a large degree. But discussed in the first part of Zeitgeist Moving Forward was how uh, societies um, are less violent when they are more equal. And you have some societies that in fact have absolutely, positively no history of violence or homicide whatsoever. These societies do exist. And they do have rules, and people inherently follow those rules because they recognize that the rules are for the good of everyone. And these societies, where their children are consistently educated on all of this, they don't become violent. This guy completely missed that part of the film. Not just
1: missed, he wants to ignore it. Um, Because if, if for some reason everything that he's been told that is the reason that we can't be collectivists or use the words like share is wrong, you know, then he can't be right. It's the same reason that Christians don't want to be told that there is no Lucifer because, you know, if there's no bad guy, then, you know, then why are they being good people? You know, it's it's, it's silly. Um, it's not rooted in any kind of rationality at all. And it's based on, once again, appeal a uh, straw man fallacy because we do not by any means believe in violence. You know, he thinks that all, once again, he said it, all centrally planned groups, you know, the final little arrow, in the quiver, blah, 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 you know, presuming that it's guaranteed as if it's built in to every centrally planned system, despite the fact that this is demonstratedly false, easily demonstratedly false. By the, the I use the example of the Twin Oaks Commune. That's just communism. It's flat out communism. And it worked. In that In that situation, it worked. And largely, and this is another major point, is that that's because real communism, as, you know, imagined by, you know, real Marxists and not the Bolsheviks who essentially were just using communism as the front for their particular fascist regime, um, can, in those kinds of circumstances, with people with the right values, work. It's not what we're doing, and the reason why is because they still, they have a full workday over there and all that. We would choose to eliminate that. I've I've heard there are members of the Zeitgeist Movement involved in that commune who have suggested things that they're now implementing, like, for example, one of the costs that they had there that they work, I guess they sell hammocks, handwoven hammocks, and that's how they make their money. Um, you know, that, well, why don't we invest in getting rid of our electric bill with solar panels? So now they're installing solar panels there. See, it's moving closer to what a resource-based economy is. One of the major differences is, is that communism depends entirely on everybody just agreeing to work, whereas a resource-based economy... Uh, it moves entirely on everybody agreeing to eliminate as much work as possible, um, and that's one of the fundamental points. You know, uh, in fact, most communist groups are usually labor groups. They're people who are looking for toward labor rights. We're looking towards the right to eliminate labor.
0: Yeah, uh, that. I mean, I've I think I've seen um, some of your shows where you talk about Twin Oaks commune. I mean, it seems like a pretty good place. I saw a video uh, where they describe how the place works, and they seem to. Uh, take some pride in being called communists because they are the real deal. Now, they they aren't the the fascist um rip-offs that uh that the Bolsheviks that Stalin and Lenin and even Mao were. Um, but I'm suddenly reminded of uh the reason why my coworker uh at work doesn't like this uh resource-based economy idea. Uh he doesn't like having to do any kind of work himself, and the neighbor, you know, uh, the guy living next to him chooses to do absolutely nothing. You know, he doesn't like the concept of um, having a job, even if it's one that he chooses to do. It doesn't even matter if he chooses to do some kind of work; doesn't matter what it is. And the neighbor living next to him chooses to do nothing, then he feels uh, that uh, then he feels that's a sense of inequality. And I I can't ever tell him anything except how absurd that is. I mean, do you get upset when you um, go out to shoot pool just because the guy living next to you is playing a video game? I mean, that's ridiculous. It's, you know,
1: it it basically, um, it it reminds me of, you know, the way that the, the Christian right does things and I mean the extreme Christian right, I don't mean all Christians by any stretch of the imagination, Um, but they believe that it is in some fashion uh, a problem for them that other people are not living the same way they do, that it in some way inhibits their freedom for other people to not live according to their lifestyle I bring up the the gay rights issue for example um, the profanity and pornography issue they feel that it is with it is a violation of their rights that other people are living their lives differently than them. It, it you know they will never tell you that but that's one of the reasons like for example I saw this it's one of the reasons I left the Ron Paul movement was because he, he endorsed a theocratic guy named Chuck Baldwin and uh, the Constitution Party believes that the First Amendment which is the freedom of speech gives them the authority to ban pornography gives them the authority to ban profanity that the freedom of speech gives them the right to dictate what other people will watch and look at imagine how ridiculous that is what a perversion that is and that 's where I see, in many cases, people who think you know, and these people will tell you that they're so oppressed, you know they are so oppressed because they cannot practice their religion in this country, and what they really mean is they're oppressed because they cannot force us to live by their rules.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean it's, it's an imposition of your personal values. I mean it's tyrannical. I mean that's the tyrannical behavior that this that this guy, Davy Barker, was actually talking about. It is that I have my values. My values are better than yours, and therefore, since I have the freedom of speech and I have the uh, the right to my opinion, I therefore have the right to impose my values on you, regardless of what they are or whether or not they're right. And because I'm starting from a conclusion that my values are inherently correct, then I'm never going to remain open, I'm never going to be open minded enough to question them even if your values are probably more moral than mine i mean it's materialism it is ego it is arrogance it is tyrannical i mean there's so many words i could put on it and people just don't see that
1: yep that's it's 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 a difficult thing um i remember uh like the the interview i had with that rudy davis guy you know he was a really nice person and on the surface he seemed to feel say that he would not ever advocate you know religion being forced on anybody because he has enough libertarian philosophy i guess to believe that but on the same token he could condemn things and call them evil almost to the point that i'd be worried that this guy would get a gun you know <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic world and go after people for practicing that evil practice of suggesting we all share things um you know it it especially when you see the way that they linked Christianity to to capitalism in some really weird stretch of the imagination. Um, it, 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 it enables them to think that anything that is not them is therefore evil and therefore must be destroyed. And that's an sort of extremely dangerous method of thinking. And that's essentially what's being projected at us. They're assuming that because they don't agree with us that we're going to force them to do what we do because that's what they would do. Deep inside, that's what they would do. And it's not what we would do, ever, for any reason. I, I talked in length with Jacques about this. We talked, for example, he, he's the one who brought up the example of the Amish. He said that some people will, through their adversion to technology, decide that they don't want to be part of what we're doing. He said that we'll provide for them and we'll watch them and if anything happens to them, we'll help them if they need it. But, you know, we won't make them do anything. You know, it's one of the first things actually in my interview in Venus, Florida that you can see on my website uh, that, that I put up on YouTube you know, was the question of how do we handle, tackle people that are not compliant. And he was like, compliant, you know, (laughs) he acted like that was crazy. He's like, it's not a dictatorship. We don't order people around and they can do whatever they want, you know. Um, And that's the whole point is that perhaps other systems needed to rely on force. We don't have to. I'm confident that you demonstrate to people that this works and then they'll do it. I mean, like one of the most compelling films I ever watched was The Garbage Warrior. And the guy talked about his experiences when he got off the grid and how free he felt. You know, that's actually how I've won over a lot of libertarians, is, as I told them, you're not going far enough. You need to be free of any need to have any monetary exchange with anybody else. That's real freedom. You need to be free of being dependent on anyone else in any system. That's real freedom. You know, the fact that nobody can hold anything over you, that you don't even have to make any free exchanges to survive. That's real freedom. And that, that message rang out to them. And I'm, I'm actually working on a, a libertarian book to try to help them understand it. I'm going to call it like techno-libertarian or something, to try to help them understand that rather than wasting all of their time trying to reform a monetary system that's not going to be reformed or to get politicians elected who are not going to get elected or if they do get elected are going to be marginalized, um, that they should be spending their energy instead on getting together and getting out of the system and making it as irrelevant to their lives as possible because that is freedom.
0: Yeah, you used the example of the Amish a minute ago, and that's and that's one that I like to use a lot because it's one that actually comes up a lot, ironically. And I've had to people, I've had people to ask me, and you know, uh, what what will happen if there's groups like the Amish who don't want to be a part of the system? And I would t- and I would explain to them, oh, you you want to know how we would deal with the Amish? This is how we would deal with the non-compliant Amish. But for comparison, let's look at how we deal with the Amish right now. Right now. The Amish make pies. They make desserts. They make, you know, homemade fudge. They make quilts, you know, nice handmade quilts, and they sell them in their in their communities around where the uh, Amish uh, communities are. And they and with the money that they make doing that, they they purchase grain and things to plant that they use to uh, uh, survive. Now, in a resource-based economy, they would keep their food, or unless they wanted to share it, they would be welcome to do that. They would keep their quilts unless they wanted to share them. They they would be encouraged to do that. And we would deliver the grain to them by the truckload or by the cartload, whatever they'd prefer. And it wouldn't cost them anything. That's how we would deal with the non-compliant Amish in a resource-based economy.
1: Well, it's also like the concept of compliance. This is not about compliance. You know, I mean, if if you don't want to be part of our communities, you know, obviously we, we may ask you to leave our community or whatever, but it won't be a hostile situation, no matter what. You know, but it, nobody's going to say anything to you. I mean, I, I said the same thing to Charlie Beach and and his friends who are you know are anarcho-primitivists. Honestly, I think they'd get along great in our world because you know if we ever got, you know got the world the way we'd like it, then there'll be cities, and then everything else goes back to nature, and the environment is absolutely. Uh, um, The environment is absolutely protected, preserved, Um, no more zoos, no more, you know, I mean, we're going to take care of the earth so beautifully that people who live like they want to live will be in a world where they can drink the water straight out of the streams again, where they can, you know, plant crops that will be guaranteed to be healthy. And then even better, even better than in like a world where everybody's anarcho-primitivist, if something happened to them they'd still be able to have a safety net like cuz we'd help them you know if something happened to them or there was some you know a big um problem you know they could come to us for help you know i think that that's an ideal situation because they could go back to nature and live their lives the way they want to and there would still be a group of people with technology when they needed it
0: yeah but i mean that's exactly what i'm talking about i mean you know when asked what would we do about the noncompliant amish you know i'm kind of being snippy by saying what we would do with the non-compliant Amish is to give them our things for the asking, you know, give them our resources for the asking. We will happily accept whatever resources they decide to share with us, and that is pretty much everything that we would do with the with the Amish, who are, are not a part of our community, but in fact actually are. Just uh, They're just living a different lifestyle, just like your neighbor probably is. I mean, there's no difference. The only difference uh, is that we're not going to charge them any money for the things that we offer them, and they need not pay us any money. Uh, uh, they need not pay us any money, and we need not, uh, you know, uh, we while well, they probably wouldn't have any desire to charge us any money for their things, when they realize that everybody else is just handing them our things, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're correct. I mean, there's not even an issue of compliance there, but I'm just kind of uh, offering a snippy answer when I say that uh well, the way we deal with the non compliant Amish is to uh simply give them our resources rather than selling them, so uh, there really is no difference yeah
1: that's very true um and I mean in fact, the funny thing is is that um as as was pointed out uh, and this is the kind of the funny thing about anarcho primitivism is that when i was studying schools of anarchy there were two schools i mean well, three technically that really 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 stood out to me um one of them was anarcho and i i stress anarcho communism um anarcho syndicalism and anarcho primitivism were the ones that had the most in common with what we're suggesting ironically even anarcho primitivism had more in common with what we were suggesting and the main difference was how they would achieve it we want to fix the problems of the world by eliminating money so does anarcho-primitivism I mean they may still have like some methods of exchange but the whole consumer lifestyle that we live in now would totally banish in anarcho-primitivism um, their solution is to go a little bit further in that they think that they should you know that they should get rid of technology as well you know because they they kinda of link the two problems together whereas we just kinda of think that getting, getting rid of money will be enough you know getting rid of the, the personal profit idea will be, be enough um, and uh that's basically um it's kind of ironic that we have a lot in common with them. I mean, when you listen to me and Charlie Veach talk, we obviously have way more in common than we don't. And he realized that. And that that's one of the things he said recently on his Facebook. He's like, I don't necessarily agree with their solutions, but I don't think they're evil people. And I've even gotten some anarcho capitalists to recognize that you know that you know, I I told them. I'm like, well, you don't want to dictate to people. So, obviously, you don't have a right to tell me that me and my friends can't get together and, and live in a, a technologically advanced, resource-based economy. And as long as we're not hurting you, would you stop us? And they all go, they always? no, I wouldn't. Why would I? That You're right. That doesn't make any sense. Why would we care? Because we're not bothering anybody. Yeah, I
0: did catch, uh, I think, one of the earlier shows that you did with Charlie Veach. It started off pretty good. But he kind of lost me when he started talking about lizards. Uh, I I just kind of trailed off when the conversation got to that point, but apart from that, he seemed like a uh, an okay guy.
1: Well, I mean, he's he's got a lot of extreme views, and he's in a transitional stage of his life. I mean, one of the things that he said woke him up was that he was saved by technology. Not long after, he had said that technology was evil, and he's still he's slowly moving back towards anarcho-primitivism. But even then, it doesn't matter because you know, in the circumstances that he wants to live in. If something life-threatening happened to him, he could still come to a Venus Project city and and hospital, and we'd help him. You know, and so that's it, it was mostly about dissolving the fact that at the end of the day, our plan does not hinder their plan. You know, they they're they're scared of words like global, but even if we ever did get everybody to agree to it, because that's what it takes. We 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 suggest that you know, once again, force of thought and idea not force of arms or force of people, you know, forcing people to do anything. It's a matter of the sheer force of an idea being so compelling that people are inclined to agree on the basis that it has logic, not on the basis that other people will punish you if you don't go along with it. That doesn't even enter into our lexicon. So uh, it's a matter of them recognizing that we are not enemies. That That was my goal with Rudy Davis. You know, I'm I confident, fairly confident that, you know, that guy's an anarcho-capitalist, that if he lived down the street from our city, he wouldn't hurt anybody. You know, so who cares? At the end, you know, that's something else that I, I pointed out to people. If you believe in any kind of elite or new world order, it is certainly in their benefit that the anarcho-primitivists, anarcho-capitalists, even like the, the freedom-loving anarcho-capitalists, because I still think that the anarcho-capitalist system is what's advocated by the elite, because it would certainly benefit them the most. But there are people who just want to be free to exchange their goods, and they think that that's part of their freedom. I was like, okay, well, if that's what you think, just so long as you're not going to try to force your monetary system on us. And he's like, well, obviously not. And I said, okay, well, we're not going to try to force our lack of one on you, so go do your thing. And, and that's the unifying principle, is that we all have the same enemies, because like anarcho-capitalists even, who are the Ron Paul variety, are really against the elite and against the idea of any group of people having a lot of control over anybody else anarcho primitivists obviously have the same enemies and 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 so do you know the rest of the schools of anarchy in their own way so it's silly to me that we would oppose one another because we we have the same enemies and although our solutions are different, none of us believe in coercion so what's the problem
0: well on the on the comment that you made a minute ago that uh the elites uh would probably um, would probably advocate an, anarcho-capitalism. I could probably make the case that they like our brand of capitalism because it comes with a, a government-controlled uh, sense of force. You know, people appear to be predisposed to uh, obey the government, and you, you know that that appears to be a, an additional benefit. But I don't, I don't know. I could be uh, talking a little uh, uh, out of context. I don't know.
1: Well, no. um The problem is this, and and I often tell them this, because they, they, they concern themselves with our transition plan quite a bit, the anarcho-capitalists. And I did a show called Question for Capitalists, where I asked a capitalist, I brought on an anarcho-capitalist to talk about it. How would you implement your system? You know, we've, we've heard that you want to go to sound currency. Okay. So you want to go to a sound currency. Well, what happens to all the money already in circulation? Does it get taken away? Oh, well, you can't do that because you don't believe in taking away property. And even though it's fiat currency, well, it's still property. So you'd have to replace it somehow, right? Well, um, okay, well, I I guess then everybody gets to keep their money. Are, Are you sure about that? Because if that's the case, everybody who's in charge causing all the problems now Will still be in charge. It would be like playing the game Monopoly, where one or two players of the six or so that are playing start off with like five hundred thousand dollars, and everybody else starts off with two or three. You know, tell me how that's going to end. You know, uh, what about their property? You know, obviously they they own all of the infrastructure that produces well everything. Do they get to keep that too? In this implication of their system? it basically amounts to the fact that all of the things that they suggest you know it would be really hard to implement their system without the result being that everybody who is already on top would be on top anyway and even worse would have no government to slow them down
0: now yeah, uh, pretty much i mean that's one of the um, that's one of the virtues of the resource-based economy is the fact that equality is inherently built into the structure and it doesn't it's not tied Ownership. I mean, you. uh, I mean, you know, with with this current system, um, you know, the elites at the very top are basically characterized by their power, and their power is how much money they have, how much control they have, how much um, property they have. I mean, that's what characterizes somebody with power in in this uh, in, in this society. So if you really want equality, you have to take away that basis. You got to take away the money. You know, you got uh, you got to take away uh, their right to deny the access of uh, uh, to uh, the abundant resources that they own in this system uh, from everybody else. I mean, you do that, you pull you pull the rug right off them under fascism. And, again, like I said, that's one of the things I really like about the resource-based economy is it, it doesn't just do that. It stops the, uh, the issues in this system from coming back. That's one of the big issues I have with switching back to a gold standard. Now, I don't know. Uh, you, you would probably know more about this than I do, but uh, I don't, I don't, hasn't Ron Paul made some, um, made some advocations at some point about switching back to a gold standard? And I originally thought that was probably okay, and then I started to wonder, hold on, haven't we been on a gold standard before, and then we switched to this fiat currency that we're using now? So if we switch back to a gold standard, what's to stop us from going back to fiat currency at some point in the future again? I mean, it's not, again, it's not a solution. So, uh, you know, what's the solution? Well, the, the solution is getting rid of the money entirely.
1: Yes, because as I've demonstrated to people more than once, I generally tell them to watch this film.
0: Oh, man, now it's going to
1: flop out of my head. There's this really long film about all the times the central bank scheme has come back. It's like three and a half hours, and uh, the name of it is not coming to my head, but um, it's an older one. And uh, three and a half hours going all the way back to the first central banking schemes of like the goldsmiths and stuff to now where, in fact, it shows that every time we remake the monetary system, there is one thing that is guaranteed. It will always be corrupted. It happens over and over and over and over and over. And as Einstein said, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. To expect anything short of a monetary system being corrupted at this point is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, that's the funny thing about Einstein. You know, I've often been... Uh, accused of advocating socialism until I point out that Einstein was a socialist. Uh, but um, to get back on the monetary system, another thing I always find incredibly interesting about all of these central banks that we've had in the past, uh, the la- I mean, this is a point that was brought up in, in Zeitgeist Addendum, I think, is when Peter mentioned this. That the last time the national debt was paid off was in 1835, when Andrew Jackson shut down the previous central bank. And what I find incredibly ironic about that is, what did our central bank do here? In the, um, I don't know, I know they didn't do it right away in 1913. They waited a while, uh, but the most recent drafts of the twenty dollar bill. Have the president that shut down the previous central banks on it. I mean, to me, I mean, most people attribute that to irony. I attribute it to insult. I mean, it, uh, Andrew Jackson, he hated paper currency, he hated fiat currency, he hated central banks, and he's the only president who ever paid off his national debt by shutting down the central bank. So, what did our central bank do? They put him on our paper fiat $20 bill. He would be rolling over in his grave if he knew that. Well,
1: you know, before people get, because that's another thing I tell people about, because uh, it's something else that Senator Gravel actually taught me, you know, don't venerate anybody. Because, one, I mean, this is only sort of, this is kind of off topic, but even as great as Andrew Jackson was, he is also the president that signed the Indian Removal Act into law. Um, uh, Whatever... Reasons that he might have had at the time for eliminating central banking, uh, I feel is dwarfed in comparison to the fact that he was still very much part of the capitalist machine, and the capitalist machine wanted what the Native Americans had, just like it wanted what the Arabs had, you know, now, like it does now. It's been the same thing in the United States forever. Manifest destiny, imperialism, and Ayn Rand... Uh, who's essentially the goddess of that libertarian religion, and once again, I'm just speaking figuratively, I don't really believe they think she's a goddess, so they treat her like one, openly stated that um, the genocide of the Native Americans and of the Arabs is justified uh, in the name of progress because they will make better use of those resources, so therefore they are justified to take them, You know, even by taking lives to do so.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that uh, Andrew Jackson didn't have his typical... Political corruptions uh, attributed to him. I'm just pointing out that the uh, central bank felt it necessary to uh, insult him in that fashion by putting him on the twenty-dollar bill. But yeah, I, I've seen documentaries about Jackson. You know, I know all about the the Trail of Tears and. <clears throat> how he basically betrayed the Native American Indians who uh, who accepted his invitation to fight with him against the British. And now, since uh, ever since his betrayal, uh, the na- Native Americans even today refuse to use the $20 bill because it's got his face on it. And, yeah, I mean, he he was just like any other politician. He had his own breed of corruption. And, and that appears to be... Um, I'm inclined to call it a propensity, but at the same time, I'm also inclined to call it a tradition at this point for politicians to be corrupt at one point or another.
1: Well, I guess it just, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to go back and look into it too much, but I'd be kind of concerned or or questioning of what profit did he make by eliminating the central banking system? Because virtually every politician is in some way directly impacted by that. Uh for him to be able to get away with it somebody had to have been making money with it somewhere even you know it could have even just been that uh you know like i said you know cuz this is another one of the inherent flaws is that these same people who say that fractional reserve lending is bad have a tendency to also uh claim that all of the greatest things in our country were made through capitalism and capitalist endeavors leaving out the fact that that none of that could have been accomplished without fractional reserve lending without loans made through money printed out of thin air, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish, well, anything that capitalism accomplished. And uh, at least not on the scale that we have. You know, they look at all the big marvels like the Hoover Dam and the Manhattan Project and all that as, see, this is proof that capitalism works. You know, but it's also evidence that without fractional reserve banking, essentially conning everyone into working on things based on money printed out of thin air, you can't get anybody to do anything, you know, in that system. That It actually disproves their, their their point at the same time because it's entirely dependent on fake money that doesn't exist in order to be able to make it work. You have to essentially con people into being productive um, through giving them money. I mean, mind you, they do get – I mean, it's not all entirely economy. They do get benefits immediately out of the money. But their whole concept that uh, prosperity comes through capitalism is entirely hinged on fractional reserve banking. They could not accomplish it without it.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll buy that. I mean, uh, I, I don't accept that as proof that capitalism actually works or that the free market actually works. I I would probably be willing to agree that capitalism, um, that is proof that capitalism can ride on the backs of good scientific research uh, by funding the research with fiat currency printed out of nothing. But I will not agree that... That contribution is really a contribution. I mean uh, that, and for that, um, the example that I like to use is Tesla and his uh, um, and his method for creating an, uh not creating per se, but uh, producing an abundance of power in the in the minute his uh, source of funding. Um, good old J.P. Morgan found out about this. He immediately, almost literally, pulled the plug because he couldn't profit from that, and he knew uh, creating that much power would uh, would collapse the value of power. I mean, uh, I mean J.P. Morgan was a golden example of uh, of um, artificial scarcity. And one of the things I can't really figure out, I've had arguments like this with my employer. I've had arguments with my boss, you know, the uh, the diehard capitalist. Um, and he is, uh, for, for lack of a better term, unwaveringly faithful in in the competitive market. But one of the things I can't seem to convince him of is that the higher up the uh, up the free market, the higher up capitalism you get, the less competitive uh, the the elitists become. They become more willing to uh, make cartels, to monopolize, to do everything they can to eliminate competition. I saw that right here recently in in Shreveport. I um, I, mo- I just moved into a new apartment last week and I wanted to move my internet service and apparently Suddenlink handles one side of the river and and Comcast handles the other so I had to close my internet uh, you know my internet service and open it with the other company and then I I I couldn't do anything except shake my head because I knew that my boss would assert something about competition at uh, at this display and all I could say is well they're not competing They have apparently mutually agreed to uh, handle only a specific area of (laughs) of the map. I mean, that's what your competitive market does whenever these corporations realize that they don't have to compete in order to make a profit. And they're even willing to screw the public if they can just eliminate the competition
1: screwing the public is inherent in the profit. That's the whole reason that there becomes a problem. In any monetary system where profit is used, there's an inequity. That's the whole point of what profit is. You're getting more out of something that you're putting into it. That's what profit is. And as soon as you introduce that, um, you're going to have problems. There's always going to be something messed up as far as the exchange of the resources. And they think that the price mechanism is this guarantee that everything's going to be fair, when in fact the price mechanism is just manipulated to be uh, a total tool of profit and little else um they think that the invisible hand you know this metaphysical concept, the invisible hand is going to pull prices down to where they should be um and the theory being is that well, people won't buy it um if it's if the price is too high, so therefore they'll have to you know people will be forced to lower the price well, yeah, until you're Bechtel and you own the water of a small country and you just slowly raise the prices. And there's nothing anybody can do about it, short of violent revolution. You know, sure, uh, they got away with that in that country, and and in order to do it, they had the government and the police, you know, shooting people and beating people up to protect Bechtel's rights to take water away from everyone else in the name of profit.
0: Yeah, I I actually did use that very example in a in a previous discussion I had with my employer where he was. Uh, making making some assertion about the competitive market and then I brought up uh, Bechtel and what they did in Ecuador and, and then we got on to some, some tangent uh, uh, about I started talking about planned obsolescence and about how this market inevitably produces cheap shoddy merchandise in order to externalize the cost of producing in order to keep the profits up and <coughs> My boss is, un, again, unwaveringly uh, unwaveringly uh, convinced that if any company out there starts producing shoddy merchandise in order to make it cheaper, then people simply won't buy the merchandise because it's not as effective. I mean, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get that everybody is producing shoddy merchandise. And they're doing so... They're, they're almost designing them to be, uh, in fact, probably not even almost. I'm, I'd probably be willing to assert that a lot of our production is engineered cheap in order to last only so long. But uh, I, I couldn't possibly understand how to convince uh, a fundamentalist capitalist, for lack of a better term, um, that the system simply doesn't work. But I did finally get my employer to admit He actually admitted that at his age, he is no longer in a position to actually question things. He is so deeply invested in how this system works that if he admits that he is wrong now, then he admits that he has been doing the wrong things all his life, and he just can't emotionally handle that.
1: That's very true. Um, and that, that comes back to that irrational emotional attachment that people get to their ideologies that inhibit their ability to move forward. This is the real threat of religion when people say that we we hammer too much on religion. Religion is a perfect example of that, um, and its ability to do evil things even to protect it. It reminds me of that scene in The Matrix when uh, they're walking through that uh, simulation of the actual Matrix, and Morpheus is... Walking along and, and neo's trying to keep up with him, and he says you know as they're passing the police officer ironically that you know that there are people within this system that do not want to be unplugged and that they will fight to protect this system and it, it's the same concept they, they even if it even if they know the system is messed up or it has problems at least they are they know it it's familiar it's the same reason why people who are in abusive relationships they will stay in those abusive relationships and they are scared of good relationships because at least in the abusive relationships, they understand the rules. They they take comfort out of the abusive situation because it is what they know. They are familiar with it. It's the uncharted territory that's a problem. Like, actually, Ben Stewart from Chimatica and Esoteric Agenda, when he was on my show uh, for his Hanged Man project, which is essentially kind of another movement, only it's got a little bit more esoteric tones to it. But, um, you know, he pointed out that people are, are scared of change because that moves them into uncharted territory. You know, even if that uncharted territory is you know, bliss. They'd rather hold on to what we have because at least they know they're living in what we have. That's the real reason why people fear change, irrationally so, in a way that holds back mankind. Uh, Tradition for tradition's sake, for example. In the martial arts, Bruce Lee talked about that because there were people who were so absorbed in their traditions that they would continue to use techniques that don't even have a purpose anymore in their self-defense. And then they'd get, you know, their butts kicked by it. We saw that, like, in the, uh, the Ultimate Fighting Championships when people who were using really outdated concepts that may have made sense at one point were getting their butts kicked because they were respecting tradition for tradition's sake. And unfortunately, reality does not hold up to that. Reality does not give a damn about your traditions. Um, you know, in reality, you know, for example, if you have a tradition that you're always going to put a pine tree in your house uh, on the 24th of December and there are no more pine trees left, well, guess what? There's no more pine trees left. So uh, your tradition and nature they're not going to necessarily in any way be linked.
0: Yeah, but on the uh on the subject of uh people uh being adjusted to their um, harmful relationships and harmful uh traditions, uh, uh I think that's where uh Martin Luther King's maladjusted uh speech is probably uh, unusually relevant. And I I forget who the quote is by. Uh it could have been Martin Luther King who said uh I could be wrong. It might be somebody else, but uh, the quote is that it is it is no measure of uh, health. It is, it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a world that is insane. You know, I, I think that's the quote. I might be paraphrasing a little bit.
1: Yes, uh, it's basically that there. Um, it is no measure of. Um, God, now I'm gonna mess it up just because you said that I had it in my head. <laughs> um, it, it is no measure of of sanity or something to be well adjusted to an insane world. I think that was the way they put it. Uh, to be and and that's that's really true. You know, that's one of the other more powerful things about Z3 is the uh, the doctor. And I don't remember his name. He had darker skin tone, kind of a European accent. I guess he lives in Canada. and He had black curly hair, and he pointed out that addictions to things like power, uh, to war, and, and things like that are are considered to be perfectly fine, but uh, addictions to things that are not, you know, uh, you know object to that, they're, you know, they're therefore negative. So, uh, and and you see a lot of that in, in different ways that people will make these interesting distinctions, you know, of do as I say, not as I do um, kind of stuff, but it, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like, you know, they, they make marijuana illegal, but they allow us to drink alcohol when alcohol is obviously far more dangerous than marijuana could ever hope to be. But social stigmas um, mean that for for that reason, uh, marijuana is illegal and alcohol is not, even though it doesn't make any sense at all. It was something that in the, The Great White Hope, America's War on Drugs, which is the film that got me off the fence about the idea of decriminalizing drugs. I am not a drug user myself, nor do I advocate them, but making them illegal is kind of stupid he pointed out that his father uh, despised the fact that he smoked pot, but was a total alcoholic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm not on the fence on that issue. I mean, and I, I have the exact same position that you do. I mean, I'm not a drug user. I don't advocate the use of drugs. But I don't feel it is my business or society's business to tell you whether or not you can use drugs. And I agree with one of the quotes that was mentioned in the Zeitgeist Moving Forward film, that drug abuse is a disorder, not a crime. And last I checked, disorders are supposed to be treated and not uh, <coughs> and not subject of incarceration, per se. Well, Ellen. Uh, uh,
1: <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, um, being treated... Especially when you understand where all negative behavior comes from, you know. And how they gave the example of the—I'm going to say it wrong, but it's that place in Israel, I guess it's called the Kibbutz or something, where they send violent criminals so they can learn how to be, in, you know, non-violent. Uh, I've seen that, like, you know, for example, it's one of the reasons I keep talking about Quakers. Uh, there is a, a very compelling film that I watched called *Angel and the Bad Man*. It's a really old black and white. Uh, And nowadays, it's Creative Commons because it's so old, you can download it for free, usually, um, if you can find it. But anyway, it's a really old John Wayne film, and uh, he gets exposed to the environment of Quakers, and they're very pacifistic, calm, mellow, moral people. And it has a serious impact on his character. And mind you, it is a fictional movie, but... I remember thinking to myself, man, you know these these people are so compelling. They're so genuine. They're so sincere. And and the only thing that would ever stop me from joining them is that I I don't I don't yet believe that we can be pacifists realistically. But I you know but I I look at those people and it, it invoked some serious uh, protective instincts in me. You know and and more to the point though, they were able to seriously impact that guy just because of how honest and good natured. And, and calm and passive and genuine and sincere that they were that that had a powerful impact. That's what I usually tell Christians for example uh, the fire and brimstone Christians do not impress me in the slightest because coercion does not work on me. Um, you, I'll, you can shoot me in the head I'm not going to let you control me um, through coercion. So, um, but they didn't need to do that. All the most compelling Christians I have ever known were people who were just really good Genuinely good people; those are the ones that have ever made me consider Christian, you know, to take Christianity seriously. Not the ones who told me, you know, well, you know, or you know, the ones that told me that I was going to go to hell because I didn't believe the way they did, and not the ones that I see spitting on gay people or, you know, or doing horrible things like protesting military funerals with, you know, thank God for dead soldiers uh, signs. You know, that was definitely probably one of my favorite examples of free speech and I say that with sarcasm um, uh, but you know, that's you know, the ones who were compelling though were the ones who did live good lives and obviously were positive people and obviously were happy because of the lifestyle they chose and that's how I think that these these transitions will happen people will come into our communities see the value structure that we have and the life that we live and that force alone a, a positive force will be enough to change people a great deal.
0: Yeah, we can uh, We can only hope. And, and as far as the people protesting funerals uh, of soldiers, yeah, I mean, that's one of the trade-offs with regard to free speech. I mean, yes, they do have a right to do that, unfortunately, as distasteful as it might be. But uh, Ed, you know the trade-off is that we have the right to tell them, even in broad daylight, in the middle of public, that you're freaking nuts, and I, I have no qualms doing that. I mean, uh, I saw an interview with one of the women uh, leading the church who did that, and she had the most maniacal grin on her face. She had no source of shame. She wasn't embarrassed. She appeared to even uh, uh, take some pride in standing out there and basically embarrassing herself uh, by protesting soldiers' funerals. And I agree with you, I'm not impressed by those people. I mean, I'm I'm not going to assume that they account for the majority of Christians, but uh, that kind of person uh, doesn't impress me. And uh, we can only hope that that kind of person just goes away in a resource-based economy where we all pretty much have the right to do and feel whatever we want. I mean, um, at that point, uh, we can be solitary if we choose to be. We can, uh, we can travel the world if we choose to. Uh, but anyway, um, this, uh, this podcast has gone on about two hours. Uh, uh, we have now exceeded the entire length of Zeitgeist Addendum, so uh, shall we call it uh, call it a night at this point, Neil?
1: Yeah, I was going to say I was um, wondering when you were going to do that. <laughs> um, I, I was going to ask you if uh, you know, because it has been so long my normal show. I was going to ask you if you'd mind if I uploaded it to V Radio.
0: I'm sorry, I uploaded what to V Radio?
1: This podcast. I can upload them uh, into my blog talk too.
0: Yeah, you can go ahead and do that, uh, but um, I'll, I'll probably send you a copy that I have a uh, tweak to edit out any pauses any lengthy pauses or me coughing into the mic cuz I know I did that a time or two but uh, I'll send you a copy of the of the podcast that's uh, edited properly